I'm a writer. I love writers and I coach writers. So it makes sense that I'd interview writers from all areas, blogging, TV, film, songwriting, podcasting, but also the new writers, the first timers that did it, that took the plunge because at one point they heard from someone, you should write a book about that. Stacey Lindsay is our first female journalist to have on the show. So I'm super excited. I stalked her at her position as editorial director at the September Letters, a mental health advocacy program. And then I read a few of her pieces from Maria Shriver's Sunday paper, where she's the senior editor, and I just had to have her on the show. She's extensively covered all the areas like health and civics, financial well-being, women's issues, and social impact in television, digital, and print outlets. It's so great to have you here, Stacey. Oh, Kim, it's so great to be here. You can stalk me anytime. I stalked you back. (laughs) Thanks for having me. (laughs) Well, let's jump right in. So tell me what got you involved in September letters, and I will put the link in the show notes. Yeah, thank you. It's one of those awesome moments in life that just, it, it, I should say a reminder of do what feels right, you know, connect yourself, talk to the people that feel right, that kind of feel like they're part of the kind of the journey that you want to be on. And that's what September letters became for me. Uh, it was just totally organic, but it does of course have a story behind it. Jasper Guest is one of the founders. It was founded by Jasper Guest and Brittany Snow. And okay. Jasper and I have a deep history. Um, she's in this incredible creative and this publicist who works in New York, and she's just widely connected with these amazing people who I I feel like are really moving humanity forward. Brittany, the same thing. And a lot of people know Brittany, she's on the silver screen. You know, she's, she's an actress. She's well-known. They founded it really over this mutual love of wanting people to feel like we're never really alone. You know, if you're going through something really hard, chances are probably a million other people have gone through something like that or are going through something like that. So they started it. And it just took off. It was a, it is a platform for people to write in letters. You can write anonymously if you like. You can include your name to talk about truly anything that's on your heart and mind. We have an amazing representation from the queer and trans community where a lot of people feel that they're not seen and heard and want to talk about their stories. A lot of people going through depression, mental health issues. Sure. And they brought me on, gosh, it's been a year to do editorial and to kind of not up the ante, but kind of offer another element, an editorial journalistic element. So I've been on board and I am just beyond thrilled to be part of this. It's been incredible. What a great time with COVID and everybody's mental health really being exacerbated by the isolation and then all these deep dives we've had to take with ourselves, whether we've wanted to or not, right? The four walls will start talking to you about some what some of your deeper issues are. I've always been a, a big letter writer. You know, I have letters from my friends back when we were in college. And so, you know, it's almost like what you say in a letter goes. And I think that adding a medium of the internet to that brings that kind of old nostalgia back, but gives it an immediacy that people need, right? That they're seeking. And it's also a way to show ourselves that we're always growing and there's yeah. so much to learn too. We're never going to know everything about ourselves. I mean, maybe until the final hours, I don't know that, but I don't think, <laughs> right. you know, we're, we're always discovering things about ourselves. And I think it's an amazing thing to really nourish relationships with yourself, but then to nourish relationship with other people too. There's always something to know. There's always something to better understand. There's always something to lean into and letter writing, I think helps reveal that. 
helps it as does writing, which we're going to talk about very soon. But just give me a little background on how you got into journalism. It's the classic story. I mean, I would watch TV, watch the news obsessively because Barbara Walters, it was Diane Sawyer. It still is. It's Diane Sawyer. And there was Christiane Amanpour. There's a group with these women journalists who fascinated me. And I thought that they, you know, they presented in such a graceful way. And yet they were putting themselves in these situations to tell these stories. And I I was immensely, still am immensely fascinated by it. Maria Shriver. And I pinch myself. Now I work with Maria Shriver and it's just amazing. My mind. She's, she's incredible. She's She's unparalleled. She's incredible. But this, these women proved to me that you can be graceful and kind and curious and powerful all in one. And, and smart. And smart. And smart. Absolutely. Right. And it transcended genders. It transcended expectations. It transcended sort of draconian rules, you know, that are wrapped around women. So I was fascinated by them for, from a really young age. And in high school, worked at the high school newspaper, you know, which is still love funny. It. You kind of love laugh it. at those things. But then it was funny. I was going through some <laughs> old stuff recently and I was finding some of my clips and I thought, wow, they're not that bad. Like reporting on the homecoming game. And there's always a little edge that shows you've got a future, you know? So that just comes in. And then I did an internship. I started off my undergrad years at Boston University, did an internship at CBS at local school and at the local station rather. And I loved it. And I actually extended it from one semester. I ended up staying a whole year and I shadowed Sharon Alfonsi, who's one of the greatest now. She's on 60 Minutes. She's another unparalleled woman. But it was these figures that really, these women journalist figures that really propelled me forward. I took a pivot. I I ended up uh, getting my undergrad degree from Emerson College, which is a big journalism school. Which we talked about where I went to school for a couple years. Yes, yes. We find each other. We find each other. We do, we do. Ended up actually diving into film, though. I got my ended up getting my undergrad degree in media studies and film. Went the film route, uh, which ended up being so worthwhile and incredible. But something big happened in my life after working in film for several years, and it made me realize I wanted to do journalism. It had always been there, uh, so I went back, left my job, went back to graduate school, and earned a degree in journalism. And good for you, good for you in following that dream. It's really, I mean, it's important for us to know that you know life is short. You know, we are always growing. So if you feel that calling to go back, you're talking about these women, these iconic women in journalism. What did you come up against as a woman in journalism? You know, specifically knowing what to ask in your interviews and then sort of questioning maybe, was that the right thing to ask? Am I crossing any lines? How did you fine tune your place in your journalistic position? I love this question, Kim. Thank you for asking this question. Because it's something I'm still up against. I'm in my early 40s. I've been doing this for a really long time. I hope I continue to do this for a really long time. And I'm still up against that. And what I mean by that is the patriarchy and also second guessing myself. Right. And what I've come to learn over the years is I have a style that is my own, just like every other journalist out there, I hope finds their style. But the ones that I have always really revered and followed and loved, they have their own style. And I think that comes from deep within. So it's, you know, you can learn these tools, you can learn these skills, you can learn these ways that maybe help to pull out a story easily, or you get the facts, the who, what, when, where, why. But at the end of the day, what is journalism? It's connecting with another person and then hopefully relaying that story to a larger mass audience. So ultimately, the biggest thing was 
I constantly second-guessed myself from the very beginning of my career. I mean, oh my gosh, the early days, I didn't know what I was doing, particularly when I was a TV journalist. I had no real training. I was just kind of thrown into this job. And you've got someone in your ear sort of telling you what to say, and you might want to go in a different direction, but there's this male Absolutely. who's in your ear, and you're thinking, Absolutely. hey, just like look good and ask the questions. Absolutely. And literally and figuratively in your ear. A lot of times you're in the studio yeah. and somebody is in your ear, <laughs> or you're in you're at a city council meeting, or you're in the office of the, of the mayor, or and a lot of times it's this prominent male figure. And you know, and to their credit, they're media trained. They obviously have an agenda, but it's intimidating. And you got to right. just look. And I look down and I'm able-bodied, so I get to stand on my two feet. But I, I think it's really helpful sometimes to look down and know, okay, you're firm on the ground, whatever that may be for you. And you're there. You deserve to be there. Ask the damn questions that you want to ask, not the questions right. that they want to be asked or the questions that you think other people want ask, want you to ask. Because that's the other thing is going back to the second guessing, I realized when I started really asking the questions that I wanted to know the answers to that really piqued my curiosity, that's what resulted in a better story. Right. Because there's intimacy. There's intimacy in that. Absolutely. And occasionally you might get someone who's going to like give you the blank stare and you realize I'm barking up the wrong tree. Right. And I think also for us as women, one thing that I know that came up for me, you know, when I was a storyteller in the film industry was if I was like out of line, that's what it was called. When you ask the question that's not supposed to be asked when I was out of line, I was basically perceived as like a problem or trouble or like I'm punking everybody or like I'm a I'm a bad seed you know and I'm like I'm just I'm just asking what no one else is asking it it's crazy are you still up against that now do you feel no i don't i really don't cuz i think i've learned a, a finesse that i probably didn't have in my yeah. 20s you know we get smart we get smart and i i believe if i dare say i think it's a self trust too. Yes. Just realize I've put in the work. And if I want younger people, but particularly younger women to know, trust yourself, trust yourself, be open to learning, have wonder. Of course, I think there's obviously you learn from people who are older, who've been in the industry longer than you, of course. But at the same time, deep down, there is unparalleled wisdom in there and trust that. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. That intuition. So in terms of confidence, you know, how did you, when you started to do these interviews, how did you transition from a writer to an interviewer? Like, where did you, you know, as writers, we could be so like, we're on our own, we're doing a piece, you could be in like the room alone, but now you're sort of relying on someone else to bring texture and context to the story. How did you make that first transition? I just jumped in. <laughs> I still don't, I mean, how did I do it, Kim? I <laughs> you got to kind of just jump in, right? It goes, it connects to what we were just talking about. I think having a self-trust and thinking about, okay, why am I telling this story? And what about this story do I find interesting? And do I want to know? And I'll be honest with you, a lot of times I've been assigned stories. It still happens. I'm lucky to say not often. I'm grateful to say not often, but I've had to tell stories or cover things that I didn't want to cover or, right. okay, you know, there's something over there I'd rather cover, particularly in news again, too, if it bleeds, it leads. Uh, there could be this amazing oh, thing going on next to you that I feel like really merits more attention and warrants more attention. But the story where maybe there was a car crash or there was a murder, of course, that's going to make it on the news first. Okay. You have to tell that story. Maybe it's not of wild interest to you at first, but then when you start to dig deep, you think, okay, what is this? You know, what about what can this? I make I really of this? Wanna, 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Right. You were speaking when we first met about a press junket that you went on. Um, I believe it was for some producers. Was it the show Empire where you went in and, and you, you know, there's this media blitz that goes on and they yes. all expect the same questions, but you went in there and decided to ask some different questions. What happened? And they loved it. They loved it. And I am excited to say this is a story, an interview I did with Attica and Tembi Locke, two unbelievable creative women. Um, they're sisters. They've both had these, have these incredible careers in Hollywood. And yeah, they're doing a media blitz. Uh, we're doing a media blitz for their new show coming out. And so you get these, you know, these, I don't do a lot of celebrity interviews, but I have done a fair share, I should say. And you get kind of a very, con- very, uh, it's contrived. You know, you get a very strict amount of time that you get to ask and you pretty much the publicist, again, they're doing their jobs, but they only want you to ask about one or two things, specifically about the project at hand. Which helps sells the movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. But then, you know, you think about what do we really want to talk about here? I had these two amazing women in front of me and they both had experienced insanely hard loss and grief, something that touches on all of us. And I actually was really quite frank. I said, can we get deep? They're like, yes, let's get deep. <laughs> Thank went, you. Went for it. And they opened up. And I think that's the other thing that I found about journalism that I love. And going back to what you asked about being an interviewer, people want to tell their stories. I think a lot of times, even when people are reticent to talk, just the fact that sometimes people, somebody's asking about them, even if maybe they don't give you a full, whatever it may be, but People want to be seen. They want to be heard. And the fact that you're asking them about something that happened to them or about something they created, I think impacts that person. Even if it doesn't make its way to a story, that's the other end of an interview too, that a lot of people don't realize. You know, you interview somebody to get the facts and information and then to go tell that story. But that actual person that's being asked the questions, I think it has an impact on them. It does. And it might not have an impact in that moment, but later there's definitely a shift that's going to happen with them, you know, and depending on their life trajectory on where they're going to have that aha moment, you've definitely contributed to that experience. Let's talk about women again. Let's go back to women. You know, we've had the women's movements and the women's marches and, you know, I've seen, I have my opinion on how shifted we've been through any of that. Do you see women being more generous to each other in the workplace? And how far do you think we have to go? We've got a lot more work to do. (laughs) Yeah. I think we have come really far, but I think that there's still some great unlearning that we all have to do because you figure what has this done to all of us? And by us, I mean, women, female identifying people and women, it's instilled a fear, I think. And I can't speak for every woman. I can only speak for myself, but I think it has instilled a fear in us. From that fear, I think, has sparked this ferocious appetite to change it. And we want to, but it's still kind of a fear of, okay, if I overstep or if I kind of move the needle a little bit farther, is that going to create positive waves or negative waves? So I think there's still a lot of unlearning to do from the patriarchy and from these things that have been sort of instilled in us. And unfortunately, sometimes I still see this fear-based kind of scarcity mindset with women where... If you're taking it, if you succeed, you know, it means you're taking a slice from my, there my isn't slice room the for that. Yeah. Right. And I know that just comes from fear. I know that's not the actual person that is an old narrative instilled. And so I think absolutely a huge part of this work that we have to do is 
really just breaking free from that and realizing there is endless room for all of us. There isn't a pie. And when we do support one another, it actually means, you know, when the more you higher you rise, the higher I rise and all of that. So we've come really far, but we still have a lot, lot farther to go. And it comes in small ways too. I'm not one for platitudes. I just, they make me, my skin crawl. Um, when you see, because I've seen a lot of pro women, women for women situations. I've worked at various companies too, where it was very female, female centric and pro women. And then I saw some of the stuff happening in very small nuanced ways, kind of water cooler stuff sometimes, or where support wasn't happening. Gossipy. And the, yes. And that's the stuff that really hurts someone. And I think the way we can fix this is just a smile to a woman across a restaurant, you know, right. Or just right. In the general community. Things. Yes, exactly. Like you look beautiful today. Absolutely. And like, I, I noticed that you, you look like you went out of your way for this, like must be something that means something to you. Right. And complimenting each other. And instead of, you know, doing it for the patriarchy, right. Yeah. Where it's, or, or just showing up, showing up for us, you know, showing up for us, which is just such a novel idea. You interview a lot of, I'm going to completely pivot here. You interview a lot of authors about books, and I'm curious if a lot of them are women. What do you find most surprising about them? Are they bold? Are they, do they have humility? What do you find that's like a, a thread with the people you interview? That they work hard. <laughs> okay. yes. I Writing is love, hard. <laughs> writing is hard. And I have to say, I have lucked out. Yes, I have interviewed many, many authors. I would say mostly women too. Yeah. But a good amount of male authors as well. And they work hard. And I love talking about how writing is hard. It's different for everyone, but it doesn't just sort of flow out of us and suddenly mm-hmm. a book just, you know, reveals itself. It's hard work. And I sometimes I'll get. I, I can't wait to write a book. I want to write many books. It's an absolute yes. dream of mine. And so I love learning about people's processes. I love learning about people's fears and insecurities and days where they just want to you know, throw something against the wall because it's not working and other days where it feels like it's flowing. The hard work, I think that's the biggest takeaway that I've, that I've learned. And then it's just interesting how you and I chatted about this before, kind of learning about different people's schedules kind of, or some people like to get up right. in the morning, when they bang out write. a few hours. Mm-hmm. Yep. All of that. Yes. I keep saying the hard work though, because I think and Anna Quinlan, who is one of the most you know prolific, amazing journalists and authors, talked about that. And not enough people, I don't think, talk about how hard it is. Worth it. Do it. You can, you know you're you're worthy of it. You're capable of it. But it is hard. It doesn't just flow out of you if you're a professional writer and a book just happens. And I know I'm just repeating right. myself now, but I love knowing that. And I think of when we're more honest about that, I think that's moving moving conversation forward to for versioning writers and seasoned writers that want to do it. Right. And we sort of talked about, and I'll say this people that I don't work with people that ghostwrite. I might help them, you know, do a session with them where we set up what they want to say in the book. Often they're not thinking about who is their reader avatar? What is their mission with the book? What is their purpose with the book? What is their main theme? Then you can go off and hire a ghostwriter, you know, but if you don't have all those things in place, then you're really just trusting someone who's not going to do that work with you necessarily. But then there's the people that write their own books, right? And they're in the trenches and that's, those are mainly my clients. And Yes, there's many moments where it's like, oh my God, you know, I this book is is going in a direction I didn't expect, or there's moments where they don't know where they're going. And then all of a sudden there's that bright shining moment where they're like, oh my God, the book's amazing. And it's very exciting to see that process. If you wrote a book, it sounds to me like you'd write a book about that second guessing idea. I want to. Thanks to you. 
<laughs> we pulled that out right. of you. And you, you pulled it out of me. It was there. You pulled it out of me. And isn't that amazing? That that's the other thing actually talking about this is the community aspect of it. I remember Zadie Smith said that in, this in an interview and it really stuck with me. It can sound very glamorous to say, I'm a writer. It can sound very glamorous when you're young to say, I want to be a writer. I want to be an author. But what does that mean on a day-to-day basis? That means spending a lot of time alone, spending a lot of time at your, with your thoughts, looking at a blank page that you hopefully will populate with words. That mm-hmm. means a lot of things that are not glamorous. So again, that community, just having that camaraderie with other people who are going through something similar. And it is I'm exhausted. I'm curious about you, Kim. I'm exhausted after a day of writing. And it's not physical labor, but it's tiring. Yeah. It taps into a different part of who we are. I'm a 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. writer. And and then I do my book coaching company and then I and my work with my clients. Then I have two kids. And you know, so it's just a constant role, right? But I know that when I don't get up and work at five in the morning, the days I can't because my schedule, I feel like a sadness. Yeah. I definitely feel a sadness. And I think that's when you know you're really a writer. When you know it's going to be like challenging when you sit down at that chair, but when you're not, you're kind of sad about it. You're like, oh, I miss it. Oh, I miss it. You long for it. There's yes. a longing. And, you know, I say this all the time when writers are like, oh, I don't know if I'm a writer. And I'm like, do you have the longing to write? They say, yes. I say, well, that's really the number one prerequisite to be a writer is you have to have the desire. Because there's people out there, you've met them at events that are like, yeah, I'm never going to write a book. And you know, they are actually never going to write a book. Right, right. (laughs) There's nothing about them that is a writer at all, right? And you're like, that's good. You go do you. But there is that longing, you know, to do it. And what would be the one thing that you would say that you have the most fear about in terms of, because from what I understand, you have an agent, so you're on your way, this path is laid, What's one of the fears you have about it? I want to go back to one thing, though, okay, if you can, sure, just for a second, absolutely. because just saying how you pulled that out of me, that idea, you know, writing about the concept of second guessing yourself. That, again, though, just touches on the community and camaraderie aspect that is so important because I can be over here doing things and we get you know, we're just you're just talking about it, too. You have your days in buckets. You have so much going on. You get up in the morning, you write. Then you work with your clients. Then you do other things with your clients. And then you have your children. You know, we get so overwhelmed. Right. Sometimes too, there's maybe a longing inside of us or something we want to write about, something we want to be revealed. We just don't know it. And that's when a good friend or a good, you know, comrade comes into play, somebody in the industry, like you did for me, just one idea. Absolutely. So that's everything. Yes. And says, here's what I'm hearing from you. Here's what I'm seeing from you. You know, I would say because you have your hands in all these different writing buckets, you have outlets, right? So when you sit down and do the book, it's like you can deal with the structure because writing books is a very structured, I believe that creativity needs a structure, right? Without it, it's just like a wild loose cannon. And I know for me, writing a newsletter is really that freedom because it doesn't have to really have a structure. It has categories, but I can write like wacky stuff. And sometimes when I send the newsletter out and it's really, some of my stories are like really like funny and glib. I'm a little bit like, I feel like I've just like taken off my bra and just run through the streets of Manhattan. (laughs) But with a book, you don't feel like that because it takes so long to show it to somebody. So you're really not showing it. So I would say to writers, if you're writing a book, have an outlet where you can just like run naked through the streets with your writing concurrently too. So you can let some of that steam out. 
Oh, I love that. I'm going to take off my bra and run through Manhattan right now. It's funny going back to the longing that you said, which is so beautiful and so powerful. If there's a longing, that's how you know you're you're really a writer. You need to nourish the writing that needs to happen inside of you. There's a piece right now, and it came to me yesterday, and it's something from my life. And I, I have to write this. I can't wait. I'm going to actually try and dedicate. I am you are. Going to make a commitment. Sometime. <laughs> make a commitment. ASAP. And that feels like I'll be taking my bra off and running down the streets of Manhattan. And that sounds so freaking scary and, and so, so worthwhile. Fun. And so fun. <laughs> yes. So, you know, one piece of advice, I know you were speaking on younger women earlier that are kind of rising up in journalism and in writing. What would be one piece of advice that you would tell the you, you know, even at 35, let's just, let's just say, you know, five years ago, we don't always have to be like 25 years ago, just five years ago. What would you want to have known that you didn't know? Again, don't second guess the things you want to ask. Don't second guess that feeling inside of you that is hard, even for writers, even for journalists, that you can't articulate with words. There's something there. Don't second guess it. So if it's a story that you think needs to be told, if it's a question you think needs to be asked, whatever it may be, don't second guess it. Look into it, lean into it. Sometimes you actually need support, ask for support, whatever that may be, um, to help bring that story to fruition, to reveal that. Have a voice. Don't second guess yourself. Have a voice. Yeah. And that was the longest thing is really finally when I was able to break through and honor my voice. And I had some people that really helped me along the way. And it was tough too. And also the other thing is it's a tough business in regard to the classic sense. What industry isn't tough? Unfortunately, I would just wish the working world didn't have to be so tough because we're all working to put yes, food on the table. Yes, <laughs> so if We're lucky enough to do something for work. We're passionate about wonderful, but still work is work. We work, unfortunately, in a capitalistic society, we work to live. But I would say, though, that this industry, this meaning writing, journalism, putting words to paper, putting words out there for the masses, it's tough because you get feedback. You get in kind of a feedback loop these days digitally from your readers, positive, negative. You get feedback from editors. Some editors have different styles. You know, sometimes it, you get a few notes back. Sometimes you get a ton of notes back to kind of rewrite it. Just keep moving forward too. Do not let that get in the way or think, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. You know, if you get something heavily edited, keep moving forward. And I have to say too, it's wonderful to get a response that's positive from people. Of course, it's not wonderful to get a response like, I didn't like this article, whatever it may be, but kind of weigh the two is the same too. It's just feedback. It actually has nothing to do with you. Just keep doing your work, you know, and doing it with integrity, being honest, fact-checking again, and asking the questions that you want to ask. Yes. I think that's great because you're the one doing the writing. They can critique it all they want, but I don't see them doing any writing. I mean, that might be a defensive standpoint, but I remember when I used to make movies and there'd be like a critic who would like pan the movie. I'd think, well, why don't you come right? out here and try to make a movie for the next 90 days and see if you can write your little piece? You know, no resentment there or anything. That's why I had to leave the industry. I was too, you know, wrapped up in the art. and And I am so with books as well, but I think that when we go back to it, I have a little bit more of, like you said, my feet are on the ground with writing and with books more than they ever were in another career. And that's the one thing I would say to listeners is know when to go. And I think that that's also come up, you know, trust and listen to yourself and don't second guess and know when it's time to go, whether it's leaving a relationship, whether it's leaving a job, whether it's leaving a project you started, you started writing a book and you don't like it and you've been working on it for a year put it down. You might pick it up again. Write another book. Start again. It's not yes. a failure. And it always will lead to something else too. I love that, Kim, because if 
you, for instance, using the book example, if you put that down someday, whether it's that book and coming to full fruition someday, or just an idea from that book, it will lead to something else. It will connect to another dot in the future. So nothing's ever lost. Yes. Nothing. Nothing is ever lost. It's been such a pleasure to have you on. And I look forward to reading your book in the near future and continuing to read all your lovely words as they go on the paper. Thank you so much. Oh, Kim, thank you. And thank you for what you do. I so appreciate it. And thank you for all your questions. So fun. You've been listening to You Should Write a Book About That. If you enjoyed our episode, tell a friend to listen, subscribe, and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.